0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: Who is graciously being patient with me. We got our our times crossed, which happens probably every week on this podcast with a guest. And that seems to be the norm. You'd think I'd have that figured out and that that smoothed out by now, but I don't. And uh, my schedule's all messed up, too. And I don't even have an excuse. I'm just being stupid. But please introduce yourself, man.
0: Hi. Uh, Well, uh, Thomas, thanks for having me on your show. Very grateful. Um, Anyway, let me get straight to the point. My background, my training is in uh, epidemiology, clinical epidemiology, research methods. Um, I attended University of Toronto in Canada, um, Oxford in uh, England, McMaster in Canada in evidence-based medicine. And um, I did my doctoral work with Dr. Guyatt at McMaster, Gordon Guyatt. The reason why I mentioned his name is because he was one of the co-founders of the field of evidence-based medicine. That too, evidence-based policy, evidence-based economics, anything. It flowed from what work they did 30 to 40 years ago. He was my doctoral supervisor. I did a little certificate program in 2001 in Johns Hopkins in uh, biological warfare. I was interested in that in how to weaponize pathogen, um, not for nefarious means. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, it was because it's because back then um, they were. This actually was about three or four months before nine eleven, to be honest. Okay. So it, it, I actually did this program before that disastrous event happened. Um, There was a lot of talk about people trying to develop ways to put nuclear weapons in suitcases and miniaturize the nuclear attack to the battlefield, even battlefield nuclear weapons. I found that fascinating, and um, chemical weapons, too, for the battlefield. So I wanted to understand it, Um, so I took my epidemiology background there, learned a lot. We used Baltimore, Maryland as tabletop exercises over the course of the program. How would you respond epidemiologically and from a public health? What are the medical issues you have to deal with in a city if a biological attack took place? I was fortunate to have Dr. Donald Henderson, who eradicated smallpox. If you've read about him um, as one of the lecturers, and I grew to I spoke to him a lot over the time. I, I even asked him, we talked about him supervising me for PhD at Johns Hopkins in bioweapons. And biological research, but <clears throat> I made a decision to go to McMaster uh, under Dr. Guy. Um, Dr. Henderson was a tremendous, tremendous force, very brilliant individual. Anyway, um, to me into this topic is the fact that I was working with WHO, Geneva, and Pan American Health um, from around the middle of 2019. I was having them develop an uh, evidence-based training program for low- and middle-income countries in terms of how to conduct basic research and all of the issues around that. Um, but around February of 2020, they reached out to me and told me that what is happening in Lombardy, Italy, Lombardy, and China, they are hearing about this COVID, uh, this SARS, SARS coronavirus, and it was new to everyone at that point. And um, they didn't know what to make of it, and they wanted somebody to join their team, to help them understand all of the information that was coming from across the world and to try and help them with their messaging to the world, WHO. So I was providing them their technical input for COVID pandemic response in the beginning. And um, whilst doing it, <clears throat> I got a reach out from people in Trump's White House um, for the same reason, saying that stuff that I had written and stated um they found very interested in reaching into the into the Oval, into the White House, and um, uh, the request was to see if I would join, if I would join behind the scenes to provide some kind of technical input to the policy division, the communications division, and generally the administration. So I went to DC. <clears throat> it's a horrible, horrible time. I took some of my family with me. DC is one of the worst places to work and live if you've ever been. Um, It was at the the height of the lockdown. So when I arrived there, it was like a ghost town. The hotel we checked into, it was just crazy. It was just bizarre. And um, I had a lot of problems with the bureaucracy in D.C. In terms of once the bureaucracy figured out that I was working for the Trump administration because I was in the Health and Human Services building, they were kind of working against me and uh, in the sense of, completing my hiring and paying me. And it was just, it was just terrible. Good thing, the good news for me is I had a good boss and um, some of the people I met, they were tremendous. <clears throat> I departed in September. And you know, whilst there you have your run-ins with the media and with all of the different agencies, I did too. I uh, i was pursuing on Grata as well as other people like me because it was felt that we worked with the Trump administration when actually my my position was more scientific. Let me put it to you this way. If if the Biden administration right now, though I am I don't support the philosophy or their policies, when I say support, I mean I'm just one person, but it doesn't appeal to me. And some of them I find very suboptimal. Um just look at the Afghanistan disaster. Yeah. That's an example. And um, one could argue and extrapolate that the public health response right now from the administration is probably similar to that catastrophe. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but if Biden and the administration asked me to provide technical input, I would join the Joe Biden administration. Uh, if Obama had asked me in the past, it doesn't matter to me. This is not a Republican, Democrat issue. This is coming to the table to provide technical input and yes. helping. And uh, I wanted to put that on the table, and no wonder. I I think the press, particularly the media in DC, are probably some of the most despicable people on earth.
1: They're 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 snakes. They're demons. They're snakes. They're, they're vi- back Yeah. It's- yeah they are what andrew jackson said about the bankers you're a den of vipers and by the force of god i will rout you out that's what they are and it's but no you said you said it correct and i always bring that up on here man like you don't have you know i'm with you i'm not i'm not particularly a big fan of the biden administration but there is a certain point where you do have to look at things and go hey america is a plane and the yeah. current administration is in the cockpit. Maybe mm-hmm. we're not going the way you like. Maybe we're hitting turbulence and maybe they're not serving the drinks you want. But to go, I hope they crash into a mountain is insane. Yeah. And you see that all the time, right? As soon as you're as uh, as soon as you something pro-Trump or you're even not pro-Trump, you're just working with them. They demonize you, be it ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. I mean, we're, we're reaching these levels of insanity, right? Pre, Pre-November 3rd. I wouldn't take a Trump vaccine. I don't want that dictator vaccine. Biden gets elected, everyone's like, take the vaccine. Yes, it's 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 absolutely insane. I know this is kind of beyond the scope of what you're talking about, but you said oh, it earlier, it's an
0: important it's an important consideration because you are seeing <clears throat> the issue. Like, like um, <clears throat> I'm against the vaccines for children. Sure, these vaccines yeah. uh, because there's no there's no role for it. There's no yeah. medical basis for it. No one has prosecuted a case to show why a child who's at near zero risk of infection or even getting severely ill, why are they candidates for this? But now and again, I would have a Trump groupie who would come out of the woodwork and attack me and write me and And they would go nuts. You know, we taught you like president. I have nothing to do with it. I mean, I, I, I... I'm looking at the science and I'm expressing
1: my point of view. You don't need to agree with me. Yeah. You don't need to go nuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hey, man, <laughs> so It's crazy. I'm with you. I, I like Trump. I openly <laughs> talk about it. I like him. I hate that he's, like, pushing the vaccine on everyone. It's okay to differentiate things. It's okay to go, I don't agree with that. You know, I like Trump. Trump also sold $10 billion of weapons to the Saudis. I wasn't a big fan of that. And it's okay to disagree with things. What you said about, I just have to add this note, um, studying biological or pathogens as uh, as weapons. I smiled because I've had on here seven times now Dr. Ken Alabek, head of the Soviet Union's biopreparat who he was the first deputy director of their <clears> biological <throat> weapons program. He defected here in 1992. And, uh, yeah, no, he talks about it all the time. And he didn't want to do it. He was conscripted to do it. And then he fled the Soviet Union, and now he's working on autism. But, no, so when you were like, I didn't want to build nefarious means, I'm like, no, I get it. I've, I've actually talked to a guy who didn't want to do it either. But uh, you do. Ha- it is something that you have to study in the field but, of weapons.
0: Well, I mean, Thomas... Let me put it to you this way, because I mean, already we into the interview. You haven't even posed any questions, but a lot of interesting <laughs> things has come out. And let's just talk about this quickly. Okay. You'll be foolish, or you'll be nonsensical A colony world in America to think, oh my God, China is doing bioweapons research on pathogens on this. Listen, every country in the world has to do it. Yeah. yeah. We have to do it. Yeah. We will be we will be reckless and dangerous if we weren't studying pathogen, because we want to know that if you put it on our battlefield or if you put it into our cities, we know how to deal with it. So we need to experiment with it. The question is, are there nefarious people involved who are you doing this in in a nefarious manner that could harm the United States? And that's where we are right now. It's no no question that... um, They were monkeying around. They have this affinity, this love for coronaviruses because it's something they could fool around with in the lab. Everybody knows that it's been going on a long time. The question is, what did they do? Was was were bad people in different labs around the world working on this in a way to juice it up and gin it up to attack America? That's a very very important point. And the question, the question of the question of was this a biological attack? That's an important question. That should not be discounted. Was this a low-grade biological attack? Um, <clears throat> were people deliberately infected and came to America? Dr.
1: Alexander?
0: And um, we need a proper investigation of who's was involved. Um, many people are talking about uh, the seeds of this were in the United States. That raises a very, very important question. Would there be people in America at high levels who would engage in this kind of dangerous research with the intent of harming America
1: yeah.
0: at some point? So so <clears throat> to say that people are conspiracy theorists and stuff, no, listen, you live in a good year. Um, the United States is the greatest nation on earth. Yet at some point, an American president was assassinated. Mm-hmm. Well, two. Too, but let's say the one in our lifetime that we know about. So very bad things happen. Bad people do very bad things. And you you must never stop trying to find out why, who did it, for what reason, so we can, it could it could never happen again. And I think this pandemic response, this, this this situation that we're in, there seems to be a lot of poison pills <clears throat> with regard to this pathogen. And um it's a lot of discussion over gain-of-function this, gain a function that, Wuhan lab, Fort Dietrich, North Carolina chapel, these different names getting played around with. I mean, if these are central to the discussion, we need to have this discussion or we need to have a proper investigation to find out who did it. And regardless of where it goes and who's involved, they need to be held accountable.
1: You know, that's a that's actually a beautiful analogy, because a minute ago you said we're, you know, 10 minutes in the interview and you haven't asked me a question. And, well, my logic with these podcasts is, is I take them on the route that they feel like they're going and we let we let them go where they go, regardless of the outcome. And here we are talking about this. And it's very important because Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, former you have one star general. of piloted B2 Spirits, was in the Obama National Security Council. He was sacked because he raised uh, the alarms on 5G and the, uh, the China's Belt and Road Initiative. I had him on here, episode 161, and he wrote the book Stealth War, how China is waging a war with the help of the elites of the United States. And he talks about unrestricted warfare, that thesis put forward by two uh, Chinese, ge- Ch- Chinese <laughs> generals or PhDs in the late 90s about, hey, we can't take on the United States face to face. We know we can't. They have too many weapons, which echoes— What Shiro Ishii said, the head of Japan's Unit 731, which I'm sure you're aware of uh, in World War II, America is a machine society. They can build more tanks and planes and ships faster than we can, but what takes them 18 years is to regrow a soldier. So if we attack those, which they were doing. And so there is a huge question when people say, why does it matter where it came from if it came out of a lab? Listen, if there's an EMP above New York and all the power goes out, it's bad. But does it matter if it came from the sun or from a Russian EMP weapon? There's a very big distinction there, all right? So if JFK's head got shot by a Secret Service agent by accident or by a Russian assassin... There's a big distinction. So if the coronavirus came out of a lab as a form of asymmetric warfare to do $10 trillion of damage to the United States, to remove a sitting president, and to usher in a world where all the supply lines from the globe going back to China, everyone feels the power of that, there's a very big distinction between whether it came from a bat having sex with a pangolin, or from a lab in Wuhan. One is, hey, that's the way the cookie crumbles. The other is an act of war. So what you're saying is very, very important. It doesn't matter where the end takes us. We have to follow that question. No matter how unhappy or uncomfortable it is, we have to. Because if we don't, yes. they're going to get more ballsy. And they're going to do it again. And they're going to do it with something like Ebola. And it's going to be insane. Yes. Well,
0: well, you're absolutely right. And I realize how very boost you are on the topic. The, the, the reality about it is this. You need three basic ingredients to start. You need um <clears throat> capability. You need you need um intent, and you need vulnerability. Is that from a basic point of view? If you want to wage a biological or chemical attack, or even a nuclear attack on a nation, so look at the United States. <clears throat> Would you say that there are bad actors out there who had? the capacity to to develop some kind of biological weapon. Well I could say, I could say if I step back and look at everything that we know now, even if I don't bring my biological warfare, some expertise I have on it. I just talk from a lay person's point of view. From what is already there in the public space. Yeah, there are people out there. China has the capacity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They have that capacity in Wuhan lab. They've shown that. <clears throat> Would they have the intent? I'm not saying, I'm not going on record saying they did this deliberately, but could they have the intent? There are many bad actors out there that if they could wage war on America, they would like to take the shot. So there are people who have the intent. Was there vulnerability? Yeah, the United States was vulnerable. And uh, so the reality is, though, that this has shown us, too, how dangerous this world of pathogen is. And how you could technically take people, infect them, and send them out into the world. You don't need a ballistic missile anymore. You don't need to deliver a system. You have, so it's a very dark world with technology and and science and and bad people involved. You could do a lot of very bad, bad things. And that's why we need to find out who did what here, who was actually involved. And was this really a bad thing? Because if it was, that was an act of war. Yeah. Somebody. Yeah. And we need to deal with it. Yeah. We can't let that go.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, so so I think this is an investigation that must take place. And um <clears throat> there are many things I could discuss, and uh, I, I don't think we could discuss it on this show. Um, but 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 the reality about it is that um We're in a situation right now, the the more important thing to us right now is to get through this particular thing. They started 19 months ago with give us two weeks to bend the curve. They said that we need two weeks because we could quickly ramp up the hospitals and get that in order so that we could treat any incoming people with COVID as well as offer support to the non-COVID illnesses. Well, that's 19 months ago. That was the responsibility of the government and the respective public health systems and hospitals in the states and the locations, the cities, wherever. We did our part. We gave them two weeks. That became a month. That became 45 days. That became three months. That became six months. Now we're 19 months in. We, the people across the world, have all the brunt of this madness, they have done nothing to fix it. Nothing. Because for them to ask for more restrictions today and for more masking and more lockdowns and more this and more that, it means that these governments, United States included, have failed. They failed. Disastrously, they failed. You know? And, um, and, uh, they failed people, and they caused a lot of death. I mean, simply, just look at the area of early, early outpatient drug treatment. Um, <clears throat> I'll tell you. I will Let me try and help you drive this conversation. There are about six things that doomed and hobbled the pandemic. First of all, I don't think this was a pandemic. I never felt. This was an emergency. There was an issue but we did not need to do what we did here. This was this was outrageous, what the governments did, this entire U.S. task force. When Trump discussed that Fauci and Burks came into his office and told him, um, Mr. President, we have to shut it down, you know, and he goes through this spiel and stuff. Yeah, it was because of them that Trump shut the country down. It was their policies, not Trump. They were guiding him. He was the CEO like of a, con- a company, and you assemble the team around you who will give you the guidance for your decision-making. So when they went on CNN recently t- and they told Sanjay Gupta, they blamed Trump for the debts and they blamed Scott Atlas and stuff. I mean, I, I jumped out of my seat because I was there partly. And I knew that was an absolute lie with Fauci and Burks and, and they went on and on and on. It was their policies that Trump enacted Trump followed them and locked the society down. Trump closed schools. He followed their guidance. It was their failed policies that have the country, that put the country in the situation that it found itself in. Many, many people died. Many people died because of those policies. Those policies sit squarely on Burks and Fauci. They ran that lockdown, school closure, mass mandate, insanity. And I, I wanted to say it this way. I could call the discussion, but there are about five or six key aspects of this the doomed and failed this response. Remember, United States leads the world. So everybody followed the lockdowns as soon as America locked down. Everybody followed the mask crap as soon as America did the masks, et cetera, and closed schools. So the rest of the world... Even if you didn't understand it yet, is looking at what America does next, and the, and if we continue this lockdown BS and this vaccine madness, the rest of the world is doing it because America is doing it. So, the key issue from day one when Fauci and they came and implied to the public and the world that we are all at equal risk of severe outcome if infected, that was an absolute lie. And it was that lie that hobbled the United States and doomed it to fail in the response. That damaged the response because they made everybody in the public feel that regardless of your risk, you all have equal outcome of severity and mortality. That was a lie because we knew from the data that COVID was amenable to risk stratification. And if you adopted an age risk stratified approach to managing it, to mitigation steps to, to anything that you could you could target the high risk people and focus on them. You can't apply a carte blanche approach because not everyone ninety nine percent of the population were not at the same risk of a small one percent. So you 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 should not have done what the, what was done here. So, but that lie was needed to sear into the minds of the public. To have 15 year old Johnny, who's at the perfect prime of his life, very healthy, scared and will not come outside still today because he thinks he's at the same risk of mortality as his 90 year old grandmother with four grave underlying medical conditions. Johnny is not at risk, but he was told this for so long, so repeatedly, by the CDC and the NIH and the FDA and all these high level people. He can't get it out of his mind. That was one, the first strategy they used to create this insanity. The second was this issue of asymptomatic spread. Asymptomatic spread is very rare. We've not been able to prove that conclusively in this situation. I can't find the research, any, any published research, to verify this asymptomatic spread. Even Fauci in the beginning, in March, was on a YouTube, is on a video when he came to the podium to say asymptomatic spread is not the driver in a pandemic, it's symptomatic spread. And just the term should tell you intuitively and common sense: if you are pathogen spreads by making you symptomatic, by your symptoms, your symptoms of sneezing, coughing, runny nose, whatever, you are spreading it then. It will not spread asymptomatically. So this was a lie which is a complete lie. And because of that lie, so they have you feeling we are all at equal risk. So you start to get messed with your head right away. So everybody's scared. Then they tell you, and, and by the way, there's asymptomatic spread. So you might even be feeling anything. You might you might think you're fine, but you might actually have it and spreading it. And people messed up in their heads, believing that crap. You yeah. know what I mean? And they're telling you, well, you know, the best thing to do, society, you know, you're good governance society, you're a civil person. You should be caring about your neighbors and your family and all these people. So just think of yourself, everybody running around as asymptomatic and you're spreading this thing. So now everybody thinking, well, I, I have this thing and I'm spreading it. So then they jump on you and they put on you. So we need a mask for that. So drop the mask on you. That was the turn. Okay, so this asymptomatic drama, Put on a mask to deal with it. When when today we look at all of the evidence, the masks, the blue masks, the white mask, totally garbage and junk, ineffective, never worked. Day one, still don't work today. Masking children, utter junk and corrupted science, none of it, none of it is actually child abuse. It's criminal to put a child in a mask. So first one was the issue of equal risk. We went through that. Second one was the lie about asymptomatic spread. Bull BS. Third lie, this issue of recurrent infection. They started, Fauci came to the podium. Well, you know, if you got infected, you could be reinfected. BS. We can't find one case, one, in the entire world after 19 months. All the science we look at. We can't find one verified, bona fide case of somebody who got infected. With this thing and got COVID, that it got reinfected with a proper. I'm talking about PCR test, antigen test with, with with genome sequencing, with symptoms. So you know this person really had this thing, and then this person got it again, and we want ninety days apart. We can find no instance, none. I challenge anybody to provide one case of the hundreds of millions where somebody got infected twice. That was the third lie, the this response. Fourth lie, the use of this RT-PCR test, complete garbage. It was never a diagnostic test. The test, we knew from looking at the data very early on, that so when you go more than 20 cycles, you're going to be detecting viral junk, debris, past, coronavirus, common cold coronavirus, might even have been recovered from this coronavirus, but it does not denote that you have present active infection. The PCR tests, together with the concept of asymptomatic spread, were two of these issues that were used to really screw the nation up and drive this fraudulent thing in front of us. Because they were telling you that you are spreading something asymptomatically. Don't even forget the fact that you're feeling fine. You just ran 15 miles and you're in perfect health. You have no symptoms, but you actually have it. You just don't know. And you're spreading it. So make sure you have your mask on. And we're telling you you have it because we're running this flawed 97% false positive PCR test on you. And we're telling you you're positive. I, I don't know what the hell is going on. I, I, I feeling fine, you know what I mean? But you're positive. You know, the test said you're positive. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You no, know, it's, it's, it's madness because we knew at 20 cycles. That's a cutoff. After that, the test is showing major false positive. By the time you hit 30, a cycle count to 30, we had 95% false. You hit 35, you get 97. You hit a 40 cycle, count threshold. To denote positivity, as 100% false positive. Go to the CDC documents. The CDC dictated that you use a 40 a 40 cycle tongue. Mostly, all these positive tests you see, you saw CNN and they were in breaking news: 10,000 positive cases today. Those were 99% false positive. Nobody had anything. But you then, you're feeding Johnny. Johnny at 15 now, he went below his mother's bed because he's scared now because he's seeing. You told me that I'm at equal risk of granny at 90. So I had a hide. You tell me I spread spreading asymptomatic. Now you're telling me I'm positive where I wasn't even feeling sick. So this is a disaster. With Johnny not coming on, period. Johnny is going to stay there for the rest of his life now. That was the fourth, this PCR test. They used that.
1: That was fifth. 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 yes.
0: The next lie was the issue that we had no treatments. That was a that was such a lie. Because from day one, we figured out that this this pathogen, this was probably the most treatable respiratory virus, and that this pathogen responded to a sequence combined approach using proven already existing antivirus. And if you because the key is to getting there in the first two weeks when the virus is replicating. When you, when you get exposed, and let's say you get infected, um, there's a two-week period where the virus replicates, reproduces itself, and it peaks around the 7 to 8 day of replication and then starts to come down. By around the 10 to 12 to 14 day, bioreplication is done. If you're infected, you're infected. And at that point, if it got hold of you, then you're going into the, to the respiratory Hyperinflammatory stage, that that stage where the, the acute respiratory distress sy- syndrome, fluid pneumonia, we would say, odds, where the cytokine storm, where you develop the breathing difficulty, that that point. So, and and then post that, if you degenerate, if if you if you really got ill, and, and we are talking about the elderly here or somebody with multiple comorbid conditions or a very morbidly obese individual, three, 400 pounds, because we've found that obesity is a superloaded risk factor, second to age. In fact, obesity is so potent that if you are young, if you are 20, and weighing 400 pounds and got infected with COVID legitimately, you're going to have a problem because we found out physi- physiologically and at a cellular level that the receptor, the ACE2 receptor that the virus uses to infect the cell, is expressed at higher numbers in the adipose tissue, fat tissue. So it's expressed heavily in the ovaries in women, testes in men, in males, the endometrial surface is expressed also very heavily in adipose fat tissue. So we then understood why. 80 to 90% of people who were dying in like New York and across America, they were very overweight and obese. Most of the people who died, if you take age out of the picture, out of the equation, and let age fall, and fall to the side, what you're left with is obesity. Obesity is probably the strongest predictor outside of age. And we saw it. Many of the nurses who died, the frontline people, they were morbidly obese. And... and I think COVID really showed that the American population is very unhealthy. Yeah. The British population, the Canadian population. This COVID exploits your risk, this virus. Yeah. This virus on its own. If you are a healthy person, there's nothing. If this virus moved into a population where everybody was 40 years old, roughly, everybody was proper weight, no underlying conditions, the only thing would happen is you might be infected. You would never know. You would have no no sickness. You wouldn't die. COVID exploits risk factors. And the extent of the the morbidity and immortality in society is dependent on how unhealthy the society is. And it it revealed that Britain, Canada, the United States are very unhealthy societies, a lot of very overweight people. But that was a taboo topic. Nobody couldn't say that.
1: Nobody can talk about that. Nobody can bring it up. Nobody can bring it up.
0: You can't say it, but we say it here. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, no. You you, you know, you, you have to you have to go give the vaccine to a ten year old, and everyone's clapping. And then you're like, you might want to stop eating. And they're like, you shut up right now. I am beautiful. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't say you weren't, but you might die. And it's how dare you, which just shows this whole thing is. Sorry to cut you off. Keep going.
0: No, 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 no. I, I, you know, I, I just wanted to get in the points on the table yeah. as to why, why we got here. And I mean. The fact of the matter is that we had this early treatment with ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine proved very, very successful in this regard. We had we have other antivirals, fava, PVV, colchicine, uh, quercetin, etc. They work in different ways, but they generally are in the antiviral in the viral replication phase, meant to stop the viral replication. So, so the virus doesn't reproduce in you, and you don't go further to the pulmonary more severe phase, and, and really to the end phase, which is end-stage COVID in people who die, and that is the blood clotting phase. Because what we also found out as time has gone by is that COVID is not necessarily a respiratory disorder. COVID is a vascular illness. Mm-hmm. And what kills you the when your lungs shut down is is not that there's virus in your lungs, it's because there's blood clots in your lungs, very microtrombiative. Mm-hmm that accumulates throughout your body, but in your lung. And that causes all of the the, um, the blood clots, causes the problems with the exchange of gas, the oxygen and the carbon dioxide moving across, and all of the inflammation, et cetera. So, so we understand today, COVID, September 2021, is very different than COVID February 2020. We know specifically who's at risk. and We know ideally how to treat it, how to manage it. We know early treatment drops in risk of hospitalization and death by 85 to 90%. So that was the sixth catastrophic failure and lie because it prevented um, governments and uh, doctors and stuff um, did not treat patients properly and many people died. Dr. Zelenko, Dr. McCollum, they are arguing that of the 650,000 Americans who, let's say, died of this this issue, we could have had 550,000 still with us had they been given early treatment. And we also figured out that COVID is more institutional illness in the sense that the vast majority of deaths occurred in institutional settings like nursing homes, et cetera. But the point, though, is sadly, it was the elderly who, it was like killing fields in our nursing homes because because the staff was bringing in infection. And that went on too long. We kept lobbying governments, stop the staff from entering, you know, use models where the staff can't leave for two weeks at a time, one month, and pay them extra, pay them handily for it, let them stay. Because it's when they went home and they came back the next day, they were bringing the pathogen back into the nursing home. And they were causing all of the outbreaks. So so the governments, the, the agencies responsible for the operations of these, um, regulating these nursing homes and long-term facilities and assisted, they failed. The debt's on their hands. They, it's on their hands because they knew. We kept saying. So between the nursing lobby and the corruption and stuff, we contributed a lot, these agencies and these leaders, to the debts. And... Um, the reality about it is these are the facts and these are the things that really messed this pandemic response on. And it moves quickly from being a public health matter to a political matter. Because, for example, look in the beginning. In the first couple of months, you had Trump there on the podium trying to get the task force set along and directed. You have WHO in February, March saying, um, China saying, no human-to-human transmission. Then you had WHO come out right after saying, we agree with China, no human-to-human transmission. Then you had Fauci went on two or three talk shows quickly saying similar, similar, and Americans don't need to worry about this, no problem. So you had WHO, China, and Fauci working against Trump. And you need, when you look back at things, you need really to give Trump some credit, a lot of credit, because... To to be to go against those three, and that's a powerful trifecta because that they were putting the informi- their information and their message into the public space to try and guide Trump against the border closure and all of these things. And he really cut against grain by closing the border because he was fighting against Fauci, China, and WHO. And they were all lying. That's the point. They were lying. They were, they were giving the world and the public and the Americans false, incorrect information. So so the seventh thing that the public needs to also know is that very early on in the response, CDC took upon itself that they were going to do the, the test. They were going to invent the test and create the diagnostic test. And everybody was st- stood down, stand down until CDC creates this test and shop it out to you, and you validate it quickly, and then that's going to be the test. Well, turns out that when CDC sent it out to the labs, etc., the test had a catastrophic failure, and um, it was contaminated. And um, for a four- to five-week period at the beginning, whilst all other nations was beginning to test crazily, you were hearing every day the task force was talking about testing, getting testing. At that point, What was not explained to the public was that the nation was flying blind. It flew blind for five weeks, even Trump knew, because the CDC had failed. They couldn't tell the public the the catastrophic failure. It would have panicked everyone. So between the CDC and the FDA, they were trying to figure out how this thing failed. And when they did, then the commercial labs and the laboratories were given the green light to produce tests quick, And, and they produced like hundreds of different tests that Many of them suboptimally even, but we had to get tests out there. The the CDC test was a catastrophic failure. And during those five weeks, the virus seeded across the eastern coast of the United States and the western coast and spread across America. Where we are today, with virus still, this pandemic, the shape, the confluence of the pandemic is in large part due to that five-week failure. There was five weeks that we didn't know where the virus was, how it was spreading, and that sits directly in the lack of CDC. It's so so much of a failure that Dr. Redfield, who was the prior director, mm-hmm. he appeared on a, on a show recently on CNN with Sanjay Gupta, and he told Gupta. And I was actually surprised because I knew about it because I was in the administration for a period, small period, But when he said it, I was surprised that he was so honest. And I give him a lot of credit. He said, you know, the nation flew blind for about five weeks that really set back the response. I am arguing from an epidemiologist's point of view, we are still digging out of that hole. CDC, that failed five weeks, boom, the response. We're still digging out. And someone like Admiral Girard, who kind of headed the testing here, I give him a lot of credit. I met him there, we had meetings, I spoke to him. He's a very smart guy. He was in the military at some point. Um, but he was dealing with a failure because it was him who was trying to spearhead and digging out from the failure of CDC. So the testing that went on post that five weeks, you we have to give him a lot of credit for at least getting us out of that hole because that was a, it was like a fatal flaw that you can't recover from. So I give uh, 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 Admiral Gerard a lot, a lot of credit because he was in a highly political, very damaged situation. Because ordinarily, you can't recover from that. So, 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 so these are the six, seven things that really hurt us, particularly by not allowing the public access to early treatment. You know, so between the lie about asymptomatic spread that had you believe in all this crap, lie about these um, recurrent infections. Well, you know, if I get infected, I could get reinfected. So I need everything. When you look at it now in entirety, you, you lay it out. You can see from the beginning, the scaring you about everybody's at risk and you must lock down, et cetera. Everything really was for these vaccines because now we will hold your freedom and dangle it. To you, we will not lock down anymore and you come back tomorrow if you take these vaccines. And now we know they're failed. Yeah. Vaccines are failed. It's a catastrophic failure. I have actually been on record. I've said it. I was on on Fox. I've been on different interviews with Stu Peters, Alex Jones' show. I said it. I said, I would like President Trump to come to the table today and say, for sure, vaccines are not for kids. He needs to do that. Yeah. He needs to at least button this up with that because there's so much problems with the vaccines right now in terms of adverse events and death that if he at least does that, it will lend a lot of credit. Because I know from my touch with the administration and my meetings there at the White House, this is a good guy. This, This person we're talking about, President Trump, he cares about America. He really did. I joined the administration. I accepted because, well, who wouldn't if a president, if an administration asked you to sue? Sure. You know, you know, who wouldn't? You'd be a fool, even if you don't even agree with their politics. But I accepted readily because I am I'm an immigrant originally from the islands, etc. And I really appreciated a lot of the things he was doing for the economy and for the minorities, for women and stuff, and the jobs and the economic empowerment zones and. And all of these things. Those things were very, they had a potent. I had many friends, colored Americans, who were telling me, Paul, for the first time I could I could go and join a, a job line in one place and down the street, I could say to hell's this one, I'd go down and join another job. I couldn't do that before. Yeah. I had choice now. So Trump Trump really did a lot of good, great things for nation. And and I argued with people too, that I could see if things played out the way it was looking january 20, 2019 for sure he'd be a good candidate for monk rushmore and i and i wasn't kidding I, because
1: I, i'm unapologetically pro-trump I, lo- I love trump and it's yeah it's, yeah you know and right it's i'm with you I, I i think he's fan you know i have a lot of friends that hate him and To me, that's the def, and I hate this term, but to me, that's the definition of white privilege. I'm like the fact that you have the luxury of hating a president because he says mean things, and then I look at my friends who are immigrants from Kosovo, from Bulgaria, and they're like, you know, Trump twenty twenty. You know, they love him, and I'm like, these are the guys that are for him because they understand what it's about. But as we said earlier, it's also okay to disagree with us and not like him. But you're right i mean if he wants to maintain any sort of i think credibility if he came out and said these vaccines aren't for everyone they're not right. for everyone dr malone came on my podcast and said that and mm-hmm. it's that's i was permanently banned from youtube for interviewing dr oh. dr malone and dr mccullough and it's okay. you know and and to me and and i and i can keep going forever but i want to remind you you said you had to go uh yeah uh, so, no, but- Sorry, go on. I, 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 no, okay. 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 So, so we'll we'll do it. We'll do a part two, definitely. No, we we
0: definitely gonna do a part two. Yes,
1: yes. But to to kind of wrap up everything you were saying about those six steps of failure, it all leads to the Emergency Youth Authorization Act. Yes. And my argument, my argument about this could be cut down very simply if someone just said, "What do you mean? You're allowed to take the vaccine, or you're allowed to take ivermectin?" The fact that there is a coordinated effort across every global big tech platform to shut down and ban. It's one thing if you ban me, I'm an idiot screaming out of camera, sure. When you ban Dr. Peter McCullough and you ban Dr. Robert Malone coming on my podcast talking about, Dr. Malone came on here and said, hey, if you're under 50, you probably don't need it. If you're over 50, you probably do need it. Dr. McCullough came on here, the most published cardiorenal physician in the world, and said, hey, take quercetin, turmeric, vitamin D, and zinc. That's the episode I got banned for. When these things come out, when Dr. Mobeen Saeed comes on here and talks about ivermectin, when Joe Rogan says, hey, I took ivermectin, I got better in three days, and then CNN says, Joe Rogan's taking horse dewormer. When you see all of this, you cannot argue against the fact that there is a coordinated effort to reduce, reduce, remove, and suppress all all alternative treatments of one generic non-profitable drugs but also alternative treatments which would nix and void and remove the emergency youth authorization act which itself would then remove the lack of liability from big pharma to be sued by yes. a vaccine that to date September 9th Thursday 2021 at 11:53 a.m. there is off the top of my head 13,911 deaths between between oh, what, February of 2021 and today, 13,911 deaths between 1990 and 2020, 30 years across 70 vaccines, 30 times 70, there was 8,000 deaths. We're coming up on double that in one thirtieth of the time. And that's just on the ver system. That's what's reported. It all comes down to one thing. They're making money, hand yes. over fist, and the people that... It's one thing if you push a mask and you don't need a mask and it's all right, whatever, screw that guy. It's one thing if you make everyone scared. Hey, everyone's always scared right after 9-11, right? Yellow alert, orange alert. Yeah, sure, okay. When there's a coordinated effort to suppress mm-hmm. alternative treatments that, as Dr. McCullough said and as you cited, could reduce the 650,000 deaths by 85%, you're moving from, oh, that's a guy, that guy's a bad politician you're very closely and in, in acceleratingly – that's not a word – in an accelerated manner coming towards crimes against humanity. Yes, That's what you're doing now. You're, you're yes. coming up on – this is no longer you can't run for re-election. This is the stuff that laid out the Nuremberg, the Nuremberg trials. This is what led to men being hung. This is what led to the Mossad going into South America and capturing Eichmann and bringing him back and putting him in a glass box and putting him on trial. We're coming to that and – the only way we're going to get to that faster is if individuals like yourself and other doctors talk out about it. Screw big tech. It doesn't matter if they want to ban us. We're going to keep talking so long as I'm alive and have a camera and have a flag. I'm going to keep screaming like a psychopath until the truth comes out because it's absolutely disgusting. Yes, I get very excited if you can't tell and I get I get jacked up and um, I have to let you go because I can keep talking. Yeah. But you said you got to go or so. I, yeah, I'll, I'll let you go.
0: But, but yeah, but, you know, I, I talked, and we have to have a second and even a third show. We need the 10. Bottom line, we need the ten. bottom line here, th- Thomas, is that... um. The bottom line here is that... Uh, if, if you was to say, Paul, we're on a bus, we come into to a stop, you have one minute. Give me your overall just thought 50,000-foot view yeah. of what has happened yeah. in the last 90 months. i tell it you this way. I'll say... No pandemic. This was a a new a, a, a virus. We're not even sure what it is. It was coming so, into a, a yeah a virgin population. Um, so it, it looked like people were getting ill, um, but this was no pandemic. We we we, we the, the reaction to it was 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 not necessary. It was it was devastating because when I looked. And not just me, as a team of us scientists work together. Because we work with Dr. McCullough, Dr. Rich. We do this daily. We are part of a group, a research group. When the team that was assigned, we looked at lockdowns. We looked at all of the lockdowns that have taken place since the beginning of this situation. And we looked across the world of every setting, every location, everywhere in the United States, any country. We found not one instance, not one time did any of these lockdowns work to curb the transmission or reduce that. We similarly looked at the school closures. We found no instance where school closures work to reduce transmission or any positive effects. We looked at the mask mandates. Every state in America that employed a mandate. Every country, we found not one instance where the mandates reduce transmission or reduce debt. We've looked at everything. We looked at all of the policies and the policies all failed. All of these restrictive COVID policies were devastating. They, they resulted in crushing harms. What we did was we shifted the burden from the more affluent to the poorer in societies who could not afford to remote work, etc. And a lot of poor children, listen, let me just end by saying, we were seeing data that was coming up from the different states that was showing us clearly that, and the media was not reporting because remember, they were entering the election cycle in election mm-hmm. year. So if you reported this information, then you would be helping Trump because he was fighting this task force daily to open up, open schools. Mm-hmm. He was fighting them. Because what was he seeing? We were getting reports of business owners across America committing suicide. We were seeing employees who were laid off on full load committing suicide. And we were seeing little children, young children in America, three, four hundred percent self-harming suicide hotlines, opioid overdoses, but we were seeing them committing suicide, actually committing suicide. It was a very shocking thing. We looked at, there was a survey that we did we found that in June to July of 2020, we looked at all of the college and university age students across America, ages 18 to 24. So the youngest, the healthiest, the like you, the best in the society. And we 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 surveyed that. What did we, what did they report? There was one question that stunned when we looked at the analysis. About 25 to 30 percent of persons in America, 25 18 to 24 years old, reported they seriously considered in the last month suicide. And that shocked us. And they reported it was not due to this virus, bull. It was due to the lockdowns. It was due to the erosion of their rights and their respective states imposing all these restrictions and masking this and craziness. That shocked us. We see 30% of the healthiest people said they had suicidal thoughts. They couldn't go anymore with it. And that's why you saw Trump on the stage, the podium, everything. We, we thought it was a clunk, car shoe at a certain point because he would be there with Fauci on his stage and he's arguing with them and they going on the news after him and saying opposite to what he wanted. It was insane. But he was literally fighting that task force. And had it not been for Scott Atlas, we'd have been in greater danger. Scott Atlas actually brought some sense and sensibility and maturity to that task force, and they hated him. Fauci and Birx hated Atlas. They said so on CNN. So he Atlas, was, Atlas walked into what I knew him. We had meetings in the Eisenhower building, in the White House. This is a brilliant guy, and he, he, he understood what I understood, and our approach was you have to have a more balanced approach You have to calibrate the policy. You can't just lock down and then leave the lockdown and harden the lockdown. And it's killing people and you're not changing your policy. You have to consider the harms of your policy, not just your model possible benefits of it. You have to also model in the harms. And if you are seeing that the harms are crushing, you need to stop that policy. And that's why he was vilified and attacked because he was saying, you people are crazy. You are killing Americans with these school closures and these lockdowns. So, Scott Atlas, I know him who needs to be commended. I have to say. So, anyway, I know we run out of time, too, and, um We have to do this again.
1: Yeah, and I I can talk forever, but I, I know you I know your schedule is busy. Um, one real quick, I do need you to get as many as your physician friends or interesting people to come on this podcast as you can because. The bigger and no bigger bottom. guess I have on here, the more traction I can get, and I think you would agree. I'm just trying to find the truth. I'm, I'm I try to stay in the middle of the line. The second thing I want to wrap it up on this is you talked about going back to the beginning of the conversation. Is that um you know if you don't investigate these weapons, then you're putting yourself at risk. And I mean that goes back to the hydrogen bomb, right? A thousand times stronger than the atomic bomb. When the physicists came into the White House, Truman asked. Can the Russians or can the Soviets do it? And they said only a matter of time. He said, we have to do it. And then second of all, before go back seven years from 1952 to the hydrogen bomb, uh, Ivy Mike, back to 1945 with the atomic bomb, when Leslie Groves, the head of the Manhattan Project, was talking to Truman and Truman wasn't sure whether or not he was going to drop it on a drop it on mainland Japan. And, you know, offset a mainland invasion, which would have killed a fat th- or excuse me, one million American Marines, including my dad's dad, I wouldn't be here. Leslie Groves, I believe was, it was Leslie Groves, said to Truman, if you are not going to drop this bomb, you had better start preparing your impeachment speech, because when the war is over and the American people find out that the war could have ended with one million less deaths be- if you had dropped this bomb and you didn't, you will be impeached or you will be hung. And to me right now, there's got to be someone at the higher ups who are going. if the American people find out that 85 percent of these deaths could have been avoided with generic medications that have decades of of research and use behind them in every age group and pregnancy and everyone. And cheap. And and then not only that, you actively suppressed it. Yeah, it we're in for a wild ride. I kept you 10 minutes longer than I said I would. I loved it, man. I had a blast. Dr. Alexander, thank you so much, sir. I will send you an email. We'll set up part two. I'm excited. God bless America. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye bye. Stay safe, everybody. Peace.